0: Welcome to the Iowa Innovation Podcast powered by NuboCo.
1: This is the show where you talk to leaders in innovation, education, and entrepreneurship. Hey, what's up? I'm Anthony Betters.
0: And I'm Jessica Capdoni. And today's guest is Regina Bailey, founder of Bailey Leadership Initiative. Today we're going to talk about her experience as the past mayor of Iowa City and how she navigated the flood of all eight.
1: And we'll also talk about how she's trying to change the game for nonprofits through leadership consulting.
0: And we'll talk about Chicken Gate. That's right.
1: <laughs> chicken Gate, Anthony. So with that, let's innovate, Iowa.
0: Welcome to Thanks. Iowa Innovation Podcast. Yes, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for traveling all the way from Iowa City. Yeah, it was a crowded and stupid trip today. Was? You know, sometimes
2: the traffic <laughs> is just stupid.
0: If you see her face, and maybe be like, "That woman flicked me off in traffic today." Never, <laughs> never. <laughs> Too never. many guns out there.
1: <laughs> Can't have that. Uh, but hey, <laughs> could you start off by just letting us know uh, more in detail what Regina Bailey Initiative, which sometimes people have a hard time spelling, yes, is?
2: It's a consultancy group. It's a boutique consultancy organization, which means um, to me that I tailor you know, what we're going to do together, our project together for what the organization needs. I do a lot of strategic planning, operations planning, work in all sectors, but mostly the nonprofit sector.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Nice. So people don't know is that you were, or if they do know, is that you were mayor for two terms in Iowa City? One term. Oh,
2: so sorry. No, that's that's fine. And it's a little bit different than it is here in Cedar Rapids. Oh, you don't it? run for mayor in Ooh. Iowa City. You're selected. by your colleagues on council. Uh So first among equals, you always get to vote on the the, um, resolutions and the ordinances. So I served for one term Mm -hmm. during the flood of 2008, which Sea Rabbits probably remembers a little bit.
0: So as mayor, you had a flood And then, of course, as we know in Cedar Rapids, that flood kind of threw out downtown and kind of renewed how we approached businesses in Cedar Rapids. And we actually started. It's so funny because Cedar Rapids is actually like our small businesses are more in the center of our city, which is kind of like different from other cities. And as you get out, they're bigger businesses. So did that kind of for the same for your like when you were mayor, did you look at that and go, oh, like that's how we're going to start doing. Uh, like Iowa City or with your initiative? Like how did that affect?
2: Um, We had a very different event in Iowa City, which I think, uh, you know, When we were talking between Cedar Rapids and Iowa City, we talked a lot about that. Your event was very different than our event. Our event affected some particular neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And so how it affected Iowa City was that particular neighborhood, we instituted a lot of buyouts, get people out of harm's way for the future forever, basically. We also had some opportunities to think about housing uh, and um, development in a different way. So, our whole riverfront crossings plan, where Big Grove is and um, Gilbert Street along there, that came out of um, our conversations post flood. So, we had a different trauma, and it was much more um, I, uh, localized on that particular neighborhood. Mm-hmm. There were people in Iowa City who might not have even known that we were flooded. Mm. Mm. So on the Far East side, they weren't really affected. It wasn't the same as it was up here. I was also on the Vision Iowa board at the time, so I visited Cedar Rapids and toured some of your buildings at the time because... Um, that board was also charged with looking at flood recovery and how we could help affected organizations. And that's how, you know, the support for the Czech Museum came and some other things that we did here um, were a result of that tour that we took. It was horrific up here. Mm -hmm. I mean, not that it was great in Iowa City, but it was (laughs) horrific up here.
0: Yeah, it definitely, I remember, I was in middle school and I remember, yeah, I remember watching the flood crest higher and higher and Seeing people, you know, without their homes, and it was devastating—absolutely devastating.
2: Absolutely devastating.
0: Wow. That has to shape
2: a little bit of your worldview if you saw that as a middle schooler, because yeah. it—I mean, the thing about a flood is. Um, People, th- this is what they say you fight it and you generally lose. So, mm. watching that happen, yeah. I was down the night before we did um, the first mandatory evacuations that Iowa City has ever done. I was down in that neighborhood, really close to the river, and um, people were sandbagging, people were stressed, and then we had to evacuate them and they had to leave the homes that they just tried to protect. Yeah.
0: So, it's yeah. definitely yeah. out of your control. Yeah, so
1: I would say, um, quick little story story time by betters. Um, but I'm, I'm originally from Waco, from Waco, Texas. Okay. Um, and before I moved here to Cedar Rapids, um, I was just Googling what Cedar Rapids and Iowa City is, right? And for some reason, all I saw was just floods. And I'm like, what, <laughs> I mean, what am I getting myself <laughs> into, right? Um, and the closest that, I mean, I moved here, of course, six years ago, so I wasn't oh, here yeah. around that time frame. But the closest that I got to uh quote-unquote flood was when the derecho happened uh, wow. in the sense of the winds blowing and busting the pipes of my apartment, of the water pipes. And, I w- and then I walk into my apartment, and all the waters, I'm on the first floor, and all the water just coming down. Mm-hmm. My entire apartment is flooded. And so I can only imagine with individuals, who are here in the flood, in the flood zone, in the sense of their homes being fully flooded and them having to evacuate, uh, just because, I mean, it was derecho, had no Wi-Fi or anything like that. Right. And I was a business entrepreneur at the time, so I had to leave and go to, uh, to Dubuque to actually get some Wi-Fi. Um, so could you... Touch on it because, of course, you were here at that time. Yes. Um, could you touch on just the different uh, emotions um, that were going on that time with you having to try to figure out okay, like what are we going to do here?
2: Well, I mean, fortunately, we had a lot of staff in the city of Iowa City who had been through a flood event in 1993. Oh, wow. Yeah. It, I mean, the depth of knowledge that was in the institution of the city of Iowa City. Um, was very beneficial. And so um, they knew how to begin to put the put things in motion to draw down federal funds, to draw down state funds. But I remember particularly um, having a a huge meeting at the at the Iowa City Public Library where neighbors from the affected neighborhoods, residents from the affected neighborhoods were, you know, really trying to figure out what we were going to do and what was available to them. And and staff, they were they were really great. I mean, they kind of turned into almost a social service agency because Mm -hmm. they knew that they were dealing with stress and mental health, uh, you know, just the stress of of losing your home and not knowing what the future looks like. So I think it was a real banding together of, of the city organization, people in the community, our social service agencies. Um, it was a – you know, disasters, of course, they're horrible, but they're also an opportunity for people to really shine. And I would say it was a pretty shiny moment for, mm-hmm. for um, the staff of the city. They, they were great.
1: Nice. And, of course um – of course, you know the podcast name is Iowa Innovation. And so like whenever you think about innovation from that standpoint, yeah. um, of course, when things have been trashed by the flood, like what was the thought process going on in your mind and also the committee that was around you of how, how are we going to innovate and build up Iowa City back again?
2: We had a, a saying, it was don't let a good disaster go to waste because, <laughs> you know, it just brings down the the. Pinata of federal funding, and mm-hmm. I mean, I think both of our communities have seen that. And there's just there's there are funds available to rebuild, to make better, to do things, to innovate. Um, we got, I think it was an EDA grant to do the planning for Riverfront Crossings area, oh, I love and it. and so over the period of time, so that was all planning, and we thought, I thought I wouldn't see it built out in my lifetime, and mm-hmm. and somehow. Um, you know, you put a good vision in front of people, it accelerated. And mm-hmm. so we're seeing we're seeing the build-out of it. It's happening much more rapidly than we anticipated. So I would always say that innovation does come from those situations. I don't want to always, you know, be Susie Sunshine, disasters are disasters right. and, and yeah. they harm people. But there are opportunities in those kinds of situations, as you probably saw, too, in the Duratio when, you know, you went to Dubuque. I mm-hmm. mean... You figured it out, uh, you know. You had to innovate. I'm sure. For sure, yeah. most definitely.
1: And even the the like the apartment building itself. I mean, thank God for uh, insurance. Yeah. Right. Right, uh, right. That definitely helped me out in the sense of the apartment. But also, I remember just driving by the apartment not too long ago. As I remember, it was gutted out. But now it's brand brand new, and somebody's now living in the space that I was living. Yeah. In. Mm, yeah. And so I can only imagine from 2008 when. A lot of older buildings might have went down, uh, yeah. but then now that created newer buildings. Um, it also could be attracting to other individuals from other cities now to be like, okay, Iowa City is—I mean, Iowa City and the Cedar Rapids—you know—is not so old now. They got they got newer things going on. So, do you think that that was somewhat of a idea from other people coming in and looking? at Iowa City. Yeah,
2: I don't I don't necessarily know if that was part of it. I do think the development the riverfront crossing's development did spur some of that that energy. Also, where we did the buyouts, that neighborhood is has so much more green space. So the people who decided to stay have a very different sort of space um, to live in and and they can still sort of see the river, but it's not as unsafe because it's bolstered by um, that green space that would will absorb some of the water mm. instead of flood. Gotcha.
0: I wanted to somehow get through from your time as mayor with the flood and then how that led to what you are now, which is the founder of the Bailey Leadership Initiative. Can you tell us... Did that have an impact, like did your, when you were done being mayor and you're like, I'm done, and you left? <laughs> were you like, okay, I'm gonna start something new, or was it like a series of failures that led to this, or I actually started
2: the consultancy when I left the Iowa Women's Foundation in mm. 2004. Oh, wow. And so I'd just been elected to city council, and I was transitioning out of my executive director position at the Iowa Women's Foundation, and decided that my next thing would be um, working with, and I I focused right then um, working with nonprofit organizations Mm -hmm. because when I was at the Women's Foundation, um, I was its first executive director, and it was a very young organization, and we, I mean, the purpose of the organization is to support programs that benefit Iowa's women and girls, and so we gave a lot of grants to small um, nonprofits. And capacity building for those nonprofits was a big deal. Mm. And as I moved away from that into other things and thinking about, well, what's next for me, capacity building was just such a passion because I really do believe, you know, we have the for-profit sector, we have the public sector, you know, the governmental sector, and we have the not-for-profit sector. And in our country... We load a lot onto the not-for-profit mm-hmm. sector. And if it's not functioning very well, if, if um, organizations are struggling to do their work, um, our communities don't function very well. Mm-hmm. Because it's it, that sector is really responsible for a lot of our quality of life. You know, the definitely. arts, definitely. And also the human service aspect mm-hmm. of it. You know, the direct services. So I um, started my or, uh, my business in 2004, and so I I was a small business owner all during my time on the city council, mm-hmm. and sort of balancing that. And um, during the flood, I gotta say uh, I probably worked a little less because I was busier with you know my community work. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. But um, after I left city council in um, the beginning of 2012, officially my term ended, then I really began to focus on my business. Absolutely.
0: I always think of when, not to get too political, but when I see people running for office and they've worked in nonprofits, I'm like, so they're scrappy, they're innovative, they know how to get things done under budget or, you know, because it's so... You just have to really push for what you believe in if you're in a nonprofit. Like, you can't just be like half in it. You have to be fully in it to make it succeed. And Thank oh you. my goodness, I've, I have so much respect with my first job being Nuboco out of college and being in a nonprofit. Oh, yeah. You just really, your brain changes on how how you have to like survive on every front, um, just to do good. And so that's that's amazing. Um that you really have that respect going in and then also leaving office. Yeah. So that's very interesting.
1: Yes. And hey I have one question. Um why did you decide that you wanted to be mayor?
0: Um hmm. Why did I decide? Would you like a minute? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I thought that I had ideas of what I wanted to see in the community, particularly in the area of economic development. I, I mean, I started my mayoral term with the vision that we're just going to focus a little bit more on economic development. You know, it was mm-hmm. January. The mayor in Iowa City, like I said, is first among equals. So it's, it's you know, it's a person who runs the meetings and has a public face, but it also can, to a degree, um, the position can drive an agenda. And then, you know, six... Six months later, boom, we have this natural disaster. But I wanted to be mayor because I saw some things that I thought the city could be doing better. That's kind of my approach to a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, I think we could be doing this better. Right. <laughs> let's figure this out. So,
0: Was that an accent? Yeah. Yeah, that was my little, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're all about accents here. We oh, love it. Oh, Being from no. Texas and the yes, UK. We
1: tried this. We
0: tried that. We failed. We felt like we insulted way too many people, but that was a really <laughs> good accent. We appreciate that. So you're scrappy and you have that accent, uh, which yes. I think is awesome. So uh, we just want to know like what kind of, um, with how you balance like your tradition or proven strategies with your Bailey um, initi- leadership initiative um, for helping nonprofits like grow and change. Of course you were in Iowa city with, Changing and growing with the uh, flood, and you know, what has like what are big, big like proven strategies that help nonprofits with what you are doing?
2: Well, like I said, you know, um, I take a kind of uh, tailored approach to mm-hmm. every organization, but that tailored approach is based on my experience and my research, which basically is yeah, I read a lot, but I also talk to a lot of colleagues. I you know attend workshops and those sorts of things. And a little bit of intuition, maybe Mm -hmm. a lot of intuition sometimes. So when I think about strategies that work, I really, I think about, um, you know, life cycles of an organization. Often we see stressors when there's a desire for growth, but there's not a readiness there. Mm -hmm. Mm. Like if you think of a startup, I mean, any startup, whether it's nonprofit or for profit, you know, it starts out with maybe one person's vision, maybe a few people's vision. And the structure is real loose. It has to be. It's fluid. It's responsive to its environment. You don't want to lose that responsiveness. But as it grows, it's going to require more structure. I can't, I can't have all the structure for the organization that I'm building in my head, because then I'm going to get really angry with you when you don't do it the way that we know works, Mm -hmm. because it's all in my head. And how would you know that, right? right. <laughs> um, so, when we think about life cycles of organizations, there are certain kind of growth points, just in in like in humans, there are mm-hmm. certain growth points or points of development that that one needs to attend to. And I work with a lot of smaller organizations that have a desire to grow. I do a lot of capacity building, particularly um, the Des Moines Community Foundation has a capacity building grant program, and I often get called into those organizations to help them make the next step, Mm -hmm. Um, mostly through strategic planning, but in those planning conversations, thinking about, okay, where are you? What are your strengths? What do you have around the table? How can we tweak this? Where are you in your development cycle?
0: Right. What is, like, one of the big issues that you see nonprofits kind of run into that they all kind of share similarly? Or is there kind of, like, different for different? Well, I was talking
2: to... To so Logan, when I came in, you know, one of the biggest challenges for nonprofits is getting the word out because mm-hmm. nonprofits rarely um, have the funds or are willing to, to spend the funds on marketing and that kind of development. Yeah. And the other thing that happens if you're a direct service organization, you have concerns about getting the word out that you'll serve more clients and that'll, you know, that'll push the capacity issue. Often when nonprofits talk about marketing and getting the word out, they're talking about getting more funders and so being really clear on you know who their audience is and how they're reaching them is really an important thing that I see a lot of organizations struggle with a lot of organizations struggle to tell their story
1: mm-hmm.
2: and talk about their impact absolutely
1: gotcha um, this is just a thought that has came to my mind here do you ever have any, any people that may just call you Bailey based off of your uh your business name Oh, yeah. Okay. Because I almost called you Bailey. You can call me Bailey.
2: (laughs) That's fine. No problem. And
1: So, of course, I know that you've been doing um, uh, your business for about 18 years. I was trying to do math in my head, 2004. Yeah, Yeah, we talked about that. Do you math? (laughs)
0: Um, Yeah. When you said 2008, I was like, oh, that happened like four years ago, right?
1: (laughs) And with that, and also being a mayor, so I'm always curious about anybody that we bring on is like, where did that mindset come from in the sense of you wanting to hop into being a mayor and also for you hopping into wanting to do your consulting job because kind of what I'm hearing is that you have a very analytical, um, uh, mindset, um, and that you like to attack the problems and try to see exactly how strategically we're going to make these things better. So where did that mindset uh, come from? <laughs> I
2: don't know. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever done StrengthsFinder? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that um, I have been able to kind of develop a, a life path that is it, that meshes with my strengths, my top five strengths, for sure. Um, but I have been in, you know, I have worked in sort of strong organizational systems, you know, back in the day, way long ago, I mean, I started this journey as a as a music teacher. Oh, wow. So I was in public schools and sort of understood that structure and those systems. I also knew that um, sometimes there's not a lot of innovation that happens in big systems Mm -hmm. and kind of knew that maybe that wasn't the best fit for me, and maybe superintendents would agree with that. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, the mindset to starting my own business was really – Being able to do something that I was felt very strongly about, had skills for, um, had the tolerance to go out on my own because not everybody has the, you know, the stomach for doing their own business. I Mm -hmm. talk to a lot of people who are very talented and they're thinking about next steps and where should they go. It's like you could do you know you could really help people by doing this freelance or, or like i could never do that I, I yeah that makes me too nervous i feel like
0: if you're a teacher if you start out anything in life as a teacher you have the strength to do anything i feel like you have the backbone for any kind of work uh do you feel when you were mayor that like yes that you had to talk to people like you're like oh my gosh am i back in school am i no. talking to- <laughs> <laughs> no i mean what i do I used to do a lot for a
2: mantra. Is like if I can be in a room full of junior high students and oh, um, try high. to make them sing together, I can do anything.
1: <laughs> <Go laughs> Absolutely, so that's well amazing that you see auditioning right now. I still, remember I, I right still now. remember I was wow. a master singer's back in the day at Midway High School, shout yeah. out Waco, Texas. If you
0: wow. can be in a room full of junior high yeah. students, like full stop I I you know like I could I never be in a room. high students oh my I mean, that you? was back in the day
2: they were a little bit I mean they weren't all on their phones then, yeah so true. it, was, oh, it okay. was way different way oh, different wow. but you know it's it, it's that whole thing about developmentally if you know where somebody is developmentally then you can kind of say
0: okay yeah I I get it I get a little bit of what's going on here Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I actually, we were talking to David Timinski, who works with us at NuboCo, and he had a couple questions that, because we were talking about our this episode and what we were going to chat about. And he had some topics that he wanted to, he thought he would bring up with you. But what was the most controversial topic while you were mayor that you did not realize was going to be controversial? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I know. Thanks, David.
2: Thanks, David. <laughs> I don't ever think in terms of controversy. I really don't.
0: Um, or just one that maybe caused like more of an upheaval than you were expecting.
2: Well, I mean, you know, we had that thing, the flood. Um, oh, Never mind. Oh, <laughs> um, we hi- oh I, I completely had blocked this. When I was mayor, we also had a transition of a city manager. And mm-hmm. so um, we had hired somebody new and the fit was less than ideal. And we also hired and... Um, showed him the door shortly, you know, shortly within that period. Yeah. That happened when I was mayor, and that's only a t- two-year term, so that was a short amount of time. Wow. So that was pretty controversial. Um, oh, wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and then one thing, of course, I remember we were having this conversation just brainstorming. Um, could you uh, touch on, which might be a little controversial, uh, in the sense about uh, the chickens and the chicken coop,
2: Oh yeah, you have
0: done some research. Well, actually,
1: oh yeah, a little bit. We, we were just we kind were, of talking like, looking about at, that. We were like,
0: "Oh, what are some important topics for mayor?" And, and then we saw chickens. And we're like, "Let's dive right in, Anthony. <laughs> Let's roll up our sleeves." Just for the record, I have since
2: changed my mind on the concept oh. of urban chickens. Okay. Not that it matters because I'm not in politics anymore. Hey,
1: noted here on Iowa Innovation.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, it's the
0: first time I've come out. Chicken about Gate. That. We're yeah. going to call this episode Chicken Gate. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So one of my neighbors down the street has chickens, and I actually find – I have quite a bit of delight in watching those chickens in the yard. So, yeah. (laughs)
1: Could could you just do just the audience a favor, just kind of touching um, base of – like what that controversial well yes, and you know
2: back in the 2000s I don't know if people remember this there was this real trend for urban chickens and so of course I, Iowa City that was a conversation and you're right that was more controversial than I thought it would be it's <laughs> just like chickens are you kidding me right. my grandma had chickens she lived on a farm that's where chickens belong that was kind of my my position on it mm-hmm. um, then and I have friends too who are fa- uh, farmers and, and they were contacting me from other places in Iowa trying to it was kind of strange um so we had an urban chicken ordinance and i believe well you did the research i i voted against it yes yeah mm-hmm. yeah. yeah 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 so yes that was i i've stuffed that down so hey, deep. It, it thanks okay. for bringing that okay. drama reason, the only reason <laughs> that
1: it resonates with me is because um my girlfriend, Cynthia, right now, she wants chickens in our backyard. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. But being from Texas, I know my, my grandma, she had chickens, right? Yeah, my grandma, especially too. especially with the the eggs prices yeah. these days, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then also just being able to um, grow veggies in our backyard, have chickens uh, in the sense of, you know, maybe having fresh chicken uh, to eat um, and things like that. But I didn't really understand having chickens in the backyard, because I'm like, they're going to be loud.
2: And yeah, I mean, that was one of the concerns from people who were talking about it. I mean, and another one of my sort of positions about that, as I'm kind of putting myself back there, and now I think about it, I have farmers I work with who who do deliveries so Mm -hmm. you know that was another one of my points why do you need to raise your own chickens when you can go (laughs) 10 miles and get fresh eggs from a you know somebody who does this as a business let's support our local businesses um so yeah but like i said one of my neighbors not that i live close but it's it's down you know two blocks from me and the chickens are kind of cute. I wouldn't want that responsibility, though. That's the other thing, too. Yeah, I've thought about, okay, what would it mean? And on a lovely April day, or May day, I guess it's already May, like this morning, it would be fine to get up, go out and feed the chickens. But man, not in the winter, not no. worrying about True, them in the winter. Thing, I wouldn't want about. that. And I, I don't think I was, that was influencing me on not being supportive of them. <laughs> but boy, that seems like a real commitment. Yeah, we appreciate Chicken you gate. taking
0: down, yeah, taking that rabbit hole down with us about <laughs> chickens. I can't believe that we ended up with that. I <laughs> that believe was, that's what you dug up. Yeah, we didn't go. F- we didn't. We didn't go far. It was, we're so ch- bad investigators. We're like, we just saw chickens. We're like, this is oh, enough. Okay. I this can't is believe a- that was at the top of the heap. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say maybe check Google on that. So another question that David had, and maybe we have. Uh, one last time for uh, David's question corner. Knowing what you know now, would you have ran again?
2: Oh, back oh, wait, in the day. Wait,
0: back in the day. Sorry. I'm so sorry.
2: Yes. Absolutely. That was, uh, I, I loved serving on city council and I loved being mayor of Iowa City. Um, without question, I would do it again. And would you like... Do you think you would run in the future? In the future? No. Really? It's a very different political environment. And yeah, besides, it's time for people like you guys to, to step do your To step it up. Say yeah.
0: chicken gate, save the chickens. sure <laughs> that's low. <laughs>
2: how we deal with natural disasters. Exactly. Yeah. Economic development. What does it look like? What have we learned from the pandemic? What are you taking forward? Yeah, it's not, I mean, I think everybody should serve in some capacity in their Mm. community in a decision-making sort of role, whether Mm -hmm. it's on a board or commission or elected office, because I think, you know, different voices are really important.
0: Well— referring back to our podcast name it does make you innovative when you are living through con like tons of natural disasters that happen once in a lifetime storms every year mm-hmm. uh you know political events that seem to keep piling up and then obviously you know working for a nonprofit. i feel like me and anthony should do like you i'll be vice president you'd be president I, oh I, i'm I mean, busy i can't i'll, I'll be vice president I'll you know put that crown. yeah on. I there you go it. it makes you it does make you scrappy and i think that's like The best part of working for a nonprofit and now consulting for them is just like you get all these great like ideas because of based of what how you know how it works and then part of your political history. So that's very interesting. Well, a lot of nonprofits, too,
2: don't even think about how they can affect. I have worked with nonprofits that Work in the policy space or the advocacy space, but a lot of nonprofits have that ability and they don't, mm-hmm. which is a voice that's missing in that conversation often because nonprofits can often give voice to people who really don't have it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm working right now with an organization that um, deals with the issue of homelessness, and um, that organization is in the advocacy space, which is great because that means. Um, homeless people not only have their own voices and I'm not going to say that they don't and they don't advocate for themselves but we don't see it a lot but that organization does it for them as well and Mm -hmm. that's really important absolutely
1: and I definitely think that the being within the community is definitely important Um, I know I'll be here in Cedar Rapids Iowa for a long time right Um, I've been super blessed to be within the organization of NuboCo, mm-hmm. uh, but also I'm part of another nonprofit, um, Economic Alliance. So I'm on their yeah. uh, um, community development board. Um, I, think that, I think I'm saying that right. But it's to get some people together with around the community to try to see, hey, how can we make downtown Cedar Rapids um, more inviting, mm-hmm. right? And that's just the ideas of like, how can we be a little more innovative and be like these big cities? Um, Because when I remember, (laughs) I remember when I moved here to Iowa, I was telling everybody, hey, I'm moving to the second biggest city in Iowa. Even though you don't know what Iowa is, I'm I'm moving to a big city. Then I move here and I'm like, yeah, no, this is not as big and bustling. like It is like in Chicago or things of that nature. And so just trying to figure out different ways of how can Cedar Rapids and Iowa City um, be like those bigger cities where we can keep people within the city to where they won't have to go so far. They can get the different things they want here. Do you have any ideas about that? I, I saw, I saw the, the brain kind of working there.
2: Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of questions too. Mm-hmm. Is what I mean, and I mean, this is the thing I do with organizations, and this is the thing that I think is important with a community conversation. What is it that we want to create? Right. I mean, what. What does bustling mean? What are we comfortable with? You know, in Iowa City, we have a lot of people. Increasingly, we're doing housing downtown, but it's housing that's not necessarily accessible for everyone. Um, And that's a way that I would say our downtown is 24 hours because you have people living down there. Of course, they're out and about when other people aren't, and it's an entertainment sort of destination, so late night. So, But having the community conversation is what are we really trying to create? What does that look like? And let's drill down into what bustling is because bustling for some people, you know, bustling for people in a small town is mm-hmm. very different than bustling from people, for people who mm-hmm. come from Chicago. Or True. I right. Agree. Who have that sort of that energy vibe. So yeah. I think that that's part of the first step is deciding what it is we're trying to create.
1: True. I agree. Yeah. Um, well, I don't go
0: ahead oh no i was thinking of like with the bustling like with rush hour i feel that um coming from a big city um myself from where i where i grew up in like an hour outside of glasgow in the uk it's so funny to see that reflect when you go to cedar rapids where considered rush hour when like rush hour mm-hmm. people are like oh my god rush hour is terrible and i was like this here. is nothing this is like cruising i'm fine with it because if you look at from another big city, what rush hour is is like three hour standstill traffic every day. And so, definitely different compared to the size of the city. But, well,
2: and you ask about controversial topics when I was on council. Those are the kind of conversations that become crunchy because there are people whose experience is very different. Mm -hmm. And so people who have lived in Iowa city and watched it grow and change all these years, Mm. they're resistant. Yeah. You know, yeah, that is rush hour and it is too busy and I don't like it. And it's just like, and you're not even from here. It's just like, okay, this (laughs) is You're
0: from Waterloo. Go away. (laughs) (laughs) Glasgow. (laughs) Where is that in Iowa? No. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I always think with the, the, uh, oh, construction going down back to Iowa City and how it's getting, it's almost fun, d- done, almost. It'll never be done. I mean, almost. I hope, but every time I go down there, I was like, oh, it's like changing. But I, I imagine that like, for me, it's like, oh my gosh, it's about time because the the system it was prior. I was like, it's, it's, it's such congested and it's not safe anymore. And, you know, Iowa City and Cedar Rapids have expanded since then. And we've got those 380 buses going down. But I imagine that, you know, People just who have been here forever right. or like their entire lives are like, this is just too much. The city yeah. is, I think, growing too
2: much. Some people, I mean, I think, yeah, and I think that those are the conversations we need to be having so we can once again have that shared vision or at least an understanding of what people want to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining yes, us This is so fun. It. I'm so glad so that we fun. spent 10 minutes on chicken, chicken gate. Yes. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I,
2: that, that threw me for a loop. But yeah, it was an interesting uh, Always a yeah, surprise here. trip down memory lane. Yeah, you might have
1: to try to hire somebody to uh, take that off the internet. Or yeah, something like maybe. I
2: don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to run for another off.
1: Yeah, well, you're I good. Don't, no. Yeah, I don't.
0: Never say it, never. never. Yeah,
2: that's true.
1: <laughs> no, we appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks.
0: Thanks so much to our guest Regina Bailey for coming on the show. You can learn more at baileyleadership.com.
1: And if you love the show, please subscribe and leave a review. You can also visit our blog, Nuo.co slash blog, to find key takeaways summarized and detailed.
0: This podcast is produced and distributed by Upload Media Group in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. For more information, go to uploadmediagroup.com.
1: And finally, we would love it if you consider a donation to Nubo Co. Yes. yes, we need your money. Uh, your contributions to our nonprofit help us continue to serve innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs across the state of Iowa. To learn more, visit nubo.co slash donate.
0: So Anthony, not a lot of people know this, but Nubo Co. has a t- tech school called Delta V. It's Iowa's premier code and digital marketing school in Iowa. Uh, we have a new cohort starting soon where you they take beginners, people who have never done code, never even opened up a computer, and turn them into full stacked software developers, which is amazing. I took their Delta V 101, which is a workshop. It's just a day. Um, and honestly they walked me through what coding is what it looks like all the things that you can create it's amazing and i actually never thought i had that kind of mind i was always someone that was very artistic but um like it was amazing i actually was really i actually really loved it and i'm going to be taking code 102 and then their digital marketing course is now available which if you don't know digital marketing is like it's such a cool career to be in and one that is definitely needed and one that they're not falling short of for open positions. So if you are interested in uh, joining Delta V, go to DeltaVCodeSchool.com.
1: Yes, nice. If Jessica can do it, you can too.
0: That's the takeaway, people.